The Supreme Court has heard that a mother accused of murdering her baby kept multiple pregnancies secret to avoid any impact on her sporting and social life. Kelly Lane is accused of killing her newborn daughter Tegan after leaving hospital in 1996. The prosecution says Lane had an overriding ambition to represent Australia in water polo at the Olympic Games in Sydney. Kelly Lane arrived at the Supreme Court for the opening day of what's expected to be a lengthy trial. Lane gave birth to a baby girl at Sydney's Auburn Hospital almost 14 years ago. Since then, there's been no trace of the child. Opening the Crown case, prosecutor Mark Tedeschi said she had no intention of taking Tegan home, as she had taken a new job at Ravenswood School for Girls before the birth. The court was told Lane kept her pregnancies hidden from those close to her, including her parents. The prosecutor said she was extremely fearful that they would reject her and that they would abandon her. The jury was told those fears were unfounded. Kelly Lane terminated her first two pregnancies and according to the Crown, she told no one about the second abortion. She's also accused of giving a false address to the abortion clinic. The Crown said this is just one of many lies she told. She builds fictitious lies over the germ of truth, the court heard. The court also heard she gave birth to a child in 1995 without the knowledge of the father. Mark Tedeschi said because of her water polo ambitions and social life, Lane didn't want to be saddled with the responsibility of having a child and wanted a permanent solution. This trial has only just begun and the Crown Prosecutor still hasn't finished his opening address. The jury will spend the next 10 to 12 weeks hearing evidence and argument before it's able to consider a verdict. Carl Herr, ABC News, Sydney. Hi guys, thanks for joining us this week for a new episode of the True Crime Sisters podcast. We're loving being back in the swing of the show now for 2018 and we're getting used to releasing episodes again after our break. Our goal this year is to be more consistent with releasing episodes, so we're hoping to actually stick to the one episode a week without taking so many breaks. As always, before we get started, we'd like to acknowledge the amazing people who have joined up to our Patreon page and are supporting us at the moment. So we wanted to continue to thank a few more of them today. So a big True Crime Sisters thank you to Eric, Rose H, Kat, Jane, Rhiannon, Melissa F, Shane, Rachel, Blake and Bernadette. And we have many more to thank in the next couple of weeks. So if you are interested in getting a few extra episodes, you can join up on our Patreon page for as little as a dollar a month. I also just quickly wanted to say, just make sure you're following us on social media for all of our updates. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We've also been getting some really good case requests lately. So if you did have any cases that you were interested in hearing, we do love getting messages or emails about those. We're always like looking for new cases to grow on our list. So yeah, make sure you keep us posted. And with that, I'm going to pass you over to Bill to talk about this week's case. Thanks, Harry. This week we are discussing the disappearance and assumed murder of baby Tegan Lee Lane. Tegan Lane was born on the 12th of September 1996 at the Auburn Hospital in New South Wales. The hours and days following Tegan's birth weren't filled with visiting relatives, gifts and joy like most of the other babies in the maternity ward. The only people surrounding Tegan after her birth were her mother Callie and the nurses, doctors and social workers caring for the pair. 
Tegan's mother, Kelly, had no plans to have babies and raising a child would only get in the way of the goal she had set for herself of representing Australia in the water polo in the Sydney 2000 Olympics. The lead-up to Tegan's birth wasn't exciting for her mother. Tegan's existence was a well-kept secret. Two days later, Callie Lane attended a wedding with her partner Duncan Gillies. Baby Tegan was nowhere to be seen and nobody was any the wiser. Nobody knew Tegan existed except for her mother and the nurses and doctors that tended to her at Auburn Hospital. Callie Lane was born in March of 1973 and her entrance to the world was celebrated in a far more extravagant manner than that of her future daughter. Her father, Robert, reportedly brought a round of drinks for everybody at the local hotel and filled the hospital maternity ward with bunches of flowers. This warm welcome into the world was the beginning of a privileged upbringing that Callie Lane would grow accustomed to. Through Kelly's childhood, she and her brother Morgan were provided the unconditional support that is characteristic of a loving family. Kelly was a tomboy and naturally excelled at sports, which was a trait that may have been passed down from her father. Robert Lane had been both a champion surfer and rugby player in his youth, and Kelly showed the same potential. The family lived in Fairlight, which is a suburb of northern Sydney near the popular Manly Beach. Kelly attended Manly Vale High School, which is now known as McCalla Girls High School, and although she wasn't particularly academic, she shone as a talented swimmer and water polo player. She joined the Balmain Water Polo Club, where she refined and perfected her talents. Following high school, Kelly attended the University of Newcastle to study an arts degree and went on to study at the Australian College of Physical Education. Her father, Robert Lane, was a well-known policeman in the community who had worked hard and risen up through the force to become an investigator. And Kelly's mum, Sandra Lane, worked in hospital administration. The family was well-known, liked and respected within their community, where they played an active role in manly social scene. Kelly's water polo career kept reaching greater and greater heights. At her peak, she won a silver medal with the Australian Junior Women's Water Polo Team at the World Championships in Quebec, Canada in 1995. While Kelly's career was in full swing and her social life seemed glamorous, there were aspects of her life that were not so perfect behind the scenes. When Kelly was in her final year of high school at Manly Vale, she fell pregnant to her school sweetheart, Aaron Tyak. It was November 1992, and neither teenager had any desire to become parents at such a young age. They made the difficult decision as a couple to terminate the pregnancy and move on with their lives. In 1994, she became pregnant again to Aaron, and again had an abortion, with the couple's relationship falling apart in the same year. Later that year, 19-year-old Kelly began a relationship with an older man and eventually became pregnant to him too. At around the same time, she met another man, Duncan Gillies, and started a relationship with him. And Duncan was also a sports person. Um, he was a rugby player. She managed to keep her pregnancy a secret from him while they dated, and on the 19th of March, 1995, she gave birth to a baby girl at King George Hospital in Campertown. 
Just prior to going into labour, Kelly had played in her water polo grand final and had gone out for drinks at the Bridge Hotel in Balmain. Nobody even knew she was pregnant and had left for the hospital. She decided to contact Anglicare Adoption Services to adopt the baby out. When asked about who the father was, she stated that Duncan Gillies was, but that he didn't want to be contacted. On the 3rd of April 1995, she signed an affidavit swearing that Gillies had consented to adopt out the baby. In reality, he wasn't even aware she was pregnant. In a further affidavit, Kelly stated that Gillies had informed her that he didn't want to sign anything or be contacted at all about the baby. The adoption went ahead and reportedly the baby was lucky enough to have a happy upbringing. In 1996, Lane became pregnant again. At this stage, she was working as a water polo coach at the prestigious secondary college Ravenswood School for Girls in Gordon. She continued her own sporting activities as well as her active social life. Her alcohol consumption didn't stop despite her pregnancy. She continued to date Duncan Gillies and the two reportedly had a healthy, loving relationship and an active sex life. As far as Duncan was concerned, Callie had been taking the pill regularly. She didn't seek medical attention through the pregnancy and nobody around her, including her boyfriend, noticed that she was pregnant. So as I said at the beginning of this episode, baby Tegan was born later that year in September 1996. Kelly had presented multiple times at hospital, and I'm not 100% sure which hospital that was, and she asked to be induced, but she was told no each time. Eventually, she decided to try a different hospital, and she went to the Auburn Hospital, where they told her that if she came back in the morning, they would induce her. So as far as we know, she did come back, and she was induced, and she gave birth to a healthy baby girl, Tegan. Kelly lost a significant amount of blood, but all in all, she recovered well. She was breastfeeding well and appeared happy with her new infant. A trainee social worker had many long conversations with her to ensure that Callie felt comfortable in her new role as a mother and all seemed well. However, Callie had just signed a new work contract and there was no evidence that she was planning on keeping and raising Tegan. Staff at Auburn Hospital aren't sure when she left with her newborn baby but it's thought that Kelly may have left with baby Tegan down the fire escape of the hospital. It is thought she may have left as early as 10.30am. At 3pm, Kelly arrived at her parents' house without baby Tegan. At 4pm, she attended a friend's wedding with Duncan Gillies. Footage of her from the wedding shows Kelly acting relatively normal, although people who attended the wedding did remember that she was a little more quiet than usual. She went home early, leaving Gillies to continue on the party without her. On the 16th of September, 1996, the Ride Midwife Program called the Auburn Hospital to let the maternity staff know that Kelly had refused their services and would be continuing her postnatal care with her own home birth midwife, who we now know doesn't exist. Life continued on for Kelly, keeping her secret life hidden from those around her. She continued to date Duncan Gillies until 1998 when the couple broke up. It wasn't long before Callie had moved on and began a relationship with a younger man who lived in the Manly area. She fell pregnant again and at around 25 weeks, in February 1999, she sought medical advice in the hopes of terminating the pregnancy. Doctors were not prepared to carry out the procedure 
due to the advanced stage of gestation. Again, her pregnancy was kept a secret, and when Kelly gave birth to the baby, she provided false information to the hospital staff in an attempt to stop her loved ones from finding out about the situation. She decided to adopt the baby out again, and when she was asked who the father was, she named Duncan Gillies. The child was taken into foster care on the 3rd of June, 1999. Kelly's caseworker, Virginia Fung, was handling the adoption for her and she tried to contact Duncan Gillies to confirm that he consented to the adoption. When she finally got a hold of him, he made it clear that he was not the father of the baby. When Virginia confronted Kelly about this fact, she told her that another man was the father, a false person that she called Aaron Williams. She created false details about him and Virginia's attempts to contact the man never came to anything. Despite this, the adoption papers for the baby were signed on the 13th of September 1999. On the 13th of October 1999, John Borovnik, a docs worker or Department of Community Services worker, spoke to Virginia Fung and let her know that this was not Kelly's first baby. She'd given birth to a female child in 1996, and obviously we know that this was baby Tegan. The details Kelly was giving them weren't adding up. The matter was referred to the Katoomba Police on the 4th of November 1999, and baby Tegan became a missing person. At first, when police were looking into the case, there wasn't enough information about what had happened in 1996 for police to launch a full investigation. It wasn't until February 2001 that Kelly was formally interviewed by police. At the time of the police interview, Kelly was actually seven months pregnant with the baby of her new boyfriend and police didn't even notice. When police pressed her about baby Tegan, Kelly claimed that she had met up with Tegan's biological father after she, left, after she left the hospital and had given her to her biological father, who she named as Andrew Morris. So obviously the name of the man who, had, who was the father is continuously changing. Yeah, because yeah. it was Gillies before. First it was Gillies, then it was Aaron Williams, and now it's Andrew Morris, and this isn't even the last name that she gives. Police tried to track him down but found no record of him. She told police she was forced to hide her pregnancies because she was scared of how her parents and friends would react. She told them several times that she had felt very alone when she had become pregnant and she had no other choice, in her words. When Kelly was interviewed formally again in 2003, she changed the name of the man from Andrew Morris to Andrew Norris which aroused police suspicion even further. And I'm wondering whether that was sort of an act, like a mistake, like maybe mm. she'd kind of forgotten the first name that she'd given. Because they are very it's similar. very similar. Yeah. She was interviewed again in 2004, and in June 2005, an official inquest began into the disappearance of Tegan Lee Lane. The inquest was presided over by John Abernethy, QC, and it was heard that the police had conducted extensive searches for baby Tegan over the course of the investigation. The inquest into the disappearance of Tegan concluded in February 2006, and it was decided that in all likelihood she was dead. The coroner declared that he was comfortably satisfied that Tegan Lane was in fact deceased. At that stage, the case was passed on to the New South Wales Unsolved Homicide Squad for review and further investigation. 
Police struggled to piece together evidence about what had happened to Tegan. There was such limited information available. The police's search included excavating Duncan Gillies' entire backyard and allowing sniffer dogs in, but nothing of interest was found. So this is obviously very disrupting for Duncan Gillies. To Who had that, no idea. Yeah, like, he didn't know that she'd been pregnant any of those mm. times. Like, obviously, at some point she was pregnant with his child, but... He didn't seem to know. Yeah, he, he didn't know from everything that we know. They also focused on trying to look for Callie's mystery hookup and the father of Tegan, Andrew Morris or Norris. They reportedly looked up birth registries, name changes, electoral rolls, Centrelink records, immigration records, police records, Australian tax office records and more to no avail. The search lasted two years and police excluded all potential leads. While investigators decided they didn't have enough evidence to charge Lane, the New South Wales Director of Public Prosecutions, Nicholas Cowdery, charged Lane with the murder of Tegan Lee Lane, to which she pled not guilty. On the 3rd of December 2009, Kelly Lane faced the courts for the first time and a trial date was set. She would return to trial for her murder charge in August 2010. The trial of Kelly Lane began on the 9th of August 2010. At the time of the trial, Kelly was a mother to a nine-year-old daughter who she had chosen to keep with her current partner. Their relationship was said to be loving and showed that she did have the ability to be a loving and nurturing mother to a child when in the right circumstances. Kelly had over 40 people from all backgrounds come forward as positive character references for her. Throughout the trial, Kelly Lane and her defence team maintained that she gave Tegan to her biological father after she left hospital, who was a man she had had a brief secret affair with. The Crown case hinged on the assumption that between the time Kelly and Tegan left the hospital and the time that Kelly arrived at her parents' house at 3pm, Tegan was murdered by her mother. There was no evidence of the manner of death or disposal or the exact time of death. The media and public speculated heavily about the way Kelly lived her life, her inability to manage her contraception, and of course the possible whereabouts of baby Tegan. The jury were faced with questions that needed to be answered before they could make their decision. Was it at all possible that baby Tegan was still alive? If so, the jury would have to find Kelly not guilty. But if they did believe that baby Tegan was dead and Kelly concealed her body, they would obviously have to find her guilty. On the 14th of December 2010, Kelly Lane let out a wail and collapsed when a jury of her peers found her guilty of murdering her newborn daughter. She was attended to by a paramedic before being taken into custody and transported to the Silverwater Women's Prison. Kelly was sentenced to a minimum sentence of 13 years and 5 months and a maximum of 18 years. She will be eligible for parole on the 12th of May, 2023. Kelly made an application to appeal to the High Court against her conviction for the murder of Tegan. This was following the Supreme Court's decision to uphold her conviction. Her barrister, Winston Terracini, SC, told a panel of two High Court judges that the jury should have had the option to convict Kelly of manslaughter instead of murder because there was no evidence about how Tegan had died. The next issue that was raised was the fact that prosecutor Mark Tedeschi had asked rhetorical questions in his closing argument to the jury, reversing an onus of proof. 
The High Court judges pointed out that one of the biggest strengths of the prosecution's case was that Kelly had made no attempt to arrange care for baby Tegan after her birth. Kelly lost the High Court application to appeal against her conviction. In a strange turn of events, on the 18th of April 2011, a taxi driver came forwards with the claims that he had taken Callie and baby Tegan from the hospital to Manly. He stated that Callie had dumped the baby in bushlands and they continued on to Manly. He stated that he returned to the site to check on the baby and there was a woman there who stated she would attend to the needs of the baby, so he left the scene. It does seem like police have probably investigated and dismissed this claim and there wasn't a lot more to it, but it is mentioned in quite a lot of the research, Mm. so I thought it was worth mentioning. I think it probably seems more likely that he just kind of wanted to be in on his 15 minutes of fame. Mm. Well, I think if there was more to it, then we would know more. Yeah, it was quite a big claim, isn't it? Yeah, it was mentioned in quite a few things, but there was nothing backing it up. Yeah. Yeah. In February 2016, Kelly's parents, Robert and Sandra Lane, broke their silence about their daughter's conviction. They stated that they do not accept that their granddaughter Tegan is dead and they won't believe it until a body is found. They don't believe that their daughter murdered her child and they were 100% behind her. Robert stated, As far as Sandra and I are concerned, we won't believe that Tegan is dead until there is a body. And to date, there has been neither a body produced nor any credible motive. This has been a harrowing experience for our entire family from start to finish. As is the case with many people suspected of killing children, Kelly Lane is not popular in prison. She has reportedly been assaulted by other inmates a number of times, although she does deny this. This case is so sad and you can only imagine how vulnerable baby Tegan would have been at only a couple of days old. She would have had no means of protecting herself from the one person who should have been there to protect her. We may never know what exactly happened to her. Thank you for listening to this episode of the True Crime Sisters podcast. We hope you join us again next week for a brand new episode. And until then, please stay safe.